Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm so glad to see you gathered here in our sanctuary as we come uh, to worship the Lord in this place. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts, uh, as we reflect and meditate on His Word. Father, we thank You that You have called us out of darkness into Your marvelous light, and that You brought us together as Your people. And even as we open Your Word this morning, I pray that, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be acceptable in Your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, as a kid, I used to love to watch movies. I don't know, something is spoiled now that uh, movies are all on streaming. You know, yes, it's readily available, but there was nothing quite like going into movie theater to watch a movie. And I know <clears throat> we can still do that, but the prices are crazy, right? But one of the things I used to love to do was to go early. Because you remember, they would always run trailers. And the trailers are always, you know, coming soon. Akan datang. And the anticipation that comes from uh, uh, watching uh, the trailers, you know, it's always built up. I, I, for one, I loved all the James Bond series, right? And I, I would always, wow, if there was a new trailer for a James Bond movie, you can be sure first day I'll be there uh, as, as a kid. But, um, you know, somehow or other, this is sort of lost because today they don't really show many trailers because trailers are all available on your phone. They push it out to you through social media and the like. Uh, but um, we're continuing in our Advent series and I've entitled it Coming Soon. Uh, as you know, our series has been uh, looking, beginning with the end, uh, um, you know, considering end times and what it means to live with uh, a view of what is to come. And today in particular, we're looking at the subject of tribulation or the trials that are inevitable as we reach the end of time. In Romans 12, 12, Paul urged the Roman church to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. And if I could uh, have a subheading to my sermon title today, it would be, how do we exercise patience in troubled times? How do we face you know, the, the, the trials that we face in this life with patient hope in Jesus Christ. And I want to look at the two passages that were read this morning by our brother Pak Chi, starting, of course, with the gospel passage from Mark chapter 13. And in verses 1 and 2, we see the account begins this way. And he came out of the temple, Jesus that is, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones... And what wonderful buildings. <clears throat> and in a sense, what you could detect was there was this sense of pride, sense of complacency maybe even. Uh, uh, one of his disciples, you know, which remained unnamed, uh, looked and, and, you know, was marveling at this second temple which was built by Herod the Great. And by all accounts was a magnificent building, wasn't even really completed. You know, it was an ongoing work. And... You know, I think there is a measure in which we are not unlike that disciple, in that sometimes we can marvel at the things that we have. You know, I'm always grateful when I walk up to our building and uh, what we have in this place is, is, is uh, certainly a, a real blessing from God. You know, take nothing away from that. Uh, but, you know, if we rely on our heritage or on our outward symbols of religion, 
or even success because, you know, at that point of time, they felt we are reaching that pinnacle again, right? We can uh, uh, worship God in this beautiful place. Look at what Jesus said to him. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And we, of course, now in hindsight, look back and know this was certainly a prophetic word because in AD 70, due to an insurrection that rose up, the Roman uh, Empire, you know, flexed its muscle and basically destroyed the entire temple and raised it to the ground. You know, not one stone was left upon another. This is a picture of contemporary Jerusalem today. And if you've ever gone to visit uh, Jerusalem, you will know this as the Western Wall. Uh, in the um, background, you see that gold dome, and that is really uh, um, uh, a mosque, Al-Aqsa Mosque, where uh, it's believed to be the third holiest site in Islam. But there is actually nothing left of the temple. What they call the Western Wall is not the Western Wall of the temple. It was the retaining wall of the Temple Mount on which the temple was built. And it's also called the Wailing Wall because, you know, uh, um, the Jews will go there and they will offer up prayers to God. They will slip their prayers on pieces of paper in the uh, 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 cleft of the rock, you know, in the crevices between the stones. And that's all they have left of the uh, um, temple. And of course, because of the way the Jewish faith is, they cannot offer sacrifices anymore because there is no more temple. And that's the reality which they face. But then, the disciples, and this time they're named. Mount of Olives, right? Mount of Olives, if you look at that picture again in the greenery in the background, that's, uh, is that the Mount of Olives? Or it's slightly beyond that, uh, further beyond that, I think. Um, But nonetheless, they asked uh, Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are accomplished. And, you know, the curiosity of the disciples was piqued by what Jesus was saying. And this is his reply. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Previous weeks, I talked about the fact that, you know, we often pursue what our itching ears want to hear. And it's no wonder that false teaching has arisen and, and, uh, you know, There are stories, of course, of many contemporary false messiahs. I just saw in the news that they're going to make a biopic on Jim Jones. You remember this guy by the name of Jim Jones? He led a cult astray and, you know, all his followers were um, um, fed poison in Kool-Aid, which is why we have this phrase, don't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. You know, and uh, I heard that Leonardo DiCaprio is going to (laughs) play Jim Jones. I'm not sure I see any resemblance in that. But nonetheless... You know, we, we see uh, examples of the past. But may I suggest to you, you know, false messiahs are not all religious figures. In, in many ways, in uh, today's uh, um, society, the, the new religion is technology or business or, you know, uh, uh, pursuing the almighty dollar so that you know, we've got new messiahs, whether they be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. And, and people look to them as idols and, you know, elevate them and they hang on every word that proceeds from their mouth and are subsequently led astray because, you know, can be run aground in that way. So these counterfeit Christs are a sign of the times. But secondly, we see crises and calamities that will be part of this end times. And Jesus went on to say, and when you hear of wars 
and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and, uh, you know, in other uh, uh, places it talks about also the pestilences that arise. And we seem to be living in such times, don't we? This ongoing pandemic speaks of the fact that, you know, the world is in disarray and disordered. We see, you know, cataclysmic climate events which tell us, you know, something's not quite right. And it's hard for us to not uh, feel like we are living in end times. It's no wonder I, we were just talking about um, um, uh, Darcy's training and, and through St. Peter's Hall and the like. And, and one of the, the hot topics that seems to have come up is the book of Revelation. I know one of our cell groups is going to do a study in Revelation. But there are lots of other uh, uh, Bible studies that I've heard of that have been very well subscribed. You know, a lot of people wanting to hear because there's this sense in which, you know, all these things point towards the end. But Jesus goes on to tell us that there also will be a lot of criticism and conflict, right? Uh, counterfeit crises and calamities, criticism and conflict. He says, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And this reality of persecution, you know, the fact that we will face opposition because of our faith is an inevitability, right? Jesus warned in the gospels, if they persecuted me, what makes you think you are going to escape persecution, right? A servant is not greater than the master. And, you know, being a Christian is becoming harder and harder. If you look at the culture and where it's headed, you know, there will come a time in which uh, our Christian values and our Christian faith uh, will run against the tide. In fact, I mean, it has all along. But the opposition will become more evident. I don't know if you saw that poll in the, today, the online paper, how uh, amongst the young, the attitudes towards LGBT issues are changing quite dramatically. And uh, I'm in several chats and some, you know, other pastors are saying this is almost foreshadowing, you know, PAP has said very clearly, our government has said very clearly that, you know, the way we have right now, it stands, depends on public opinion. That if the opinion shifts and the large society changes, we need to brace ourselves because, you know, obviously the word of God cannot change and our standards cannot change. But it may mean we may have to stand against the tide. But, you know, it says there that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. In Matthew's version of it, it says, and then the end will come. I don't know if you are aware, November has always been designated as Diocesan Missions Month. And just this last Thursday, we had a, a wonderful opportunity for the missions evening. I know a number of you were there. I saw your names pop up on the Zoom. And I'm grateful that you were part of it. But, you know, this... Uh, need for us to recognize if time is short, how are we going to live our lives? What are we going to do with this precious deposit of the gospel? Do we keep it to ourselves or do we bring it to those who have yet to hear? In Singapore, we are blessed because, you know, there's a large Christian population, but in many of the surrounding nations, especially in our deanery countries, 
Christianity is really a minority. I was sharing as the dean of Vietnam. In uh, Vietnam, for example, only 1.8% are Protestant Christian in a country that's almost 100 million people. You know, and uh, there's so much work that still needs to be done. And um, we are, you know, doing this. Those of you who are parents, for your information, you know, we are also emphasizing Missions Month amongst them. Next week, I made arrangements for one of our very own Singaporean missionaries, uh, Bishop Raphael Samuel. He's going to join us over Zoom with our children and going to answer questions, talk about being on missions and hear his exciting story. He's been our diocesan missionary for how many decades now? Three decades, I think, at least, in Bolivia. He started just as a missionary. He's now become the Bishop of Bolivia <laughs> uh, because he's so well-established and well-respected there. Um, but, you know, the the passage goes on to point out, and he says this, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And of course, if you read through the book of Acts, you see this actually coming to pass. How they made, you know, answers and the boldness which astounded the authorities, the very same Council would put Jesus to death, you know, they confronted and were able to speak. And I, you know, this has been also my own experience because I've seen at times when I've been asked questions, not just because I'm a pastor, but, you know, sometimes, uh, I, I, if I'm honest, I can be stumped by some of the things people ask me or, you know, the, the, the ways in which they respond to Christianity. And I don't know where it comes from. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit just drops a thought into my heart, and I'm able to give an answer which really uh, causes them and challenges them to think. And I like to hope that, you know, it has set them on the path towards uh, finding the truth. Not all of them receive it initially, but I pray at least a seed of the Word of God is dropped into their hearts. But he goes on and he says, And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, Jesus did warn. In Matthew's uh, gospel, he said, Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Which is puzzling because he's, of course, the Prince of Peace. And in a sense, overarching, he is bringing peace and shalom. Ushering in the kingdom of God. But, you know, as the Word of God goes forth, we are told it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates matters, right? We have seen for ourselves, you know, you guys grown up in uh, Good Shepherd know this legacy well. I remember um, one of the members telling me a story of how someone coming for baptism pulled up to the baptism service with the luggage in hand. And when they were asked, why do you have your luggage? They said, because my parents say, if you get bap- I get baptized, I have to leave the house. You know, and it, it really uh, rends relationships when we choose Christ. But by God's grace, you know, I also hear so many testimonies, despite the initial opposition, eventually, you know, the, the testimony of life, the, the fervency of the, the, the sharing of the gospel, we see our family members also coming to Christ. But nonetheless, This is the reality that relationships are under threat as we follow God. But this is the final word which in this passage it says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
that we are to never give up despite all this reality that we will face opposition for our faith, that there will be difficult times, that it is an inevitability that life here on earth is not always going to be smooth sailing. How do we do that? I want to then fast forward to the, the other passage which we looked at. And beginning from verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10, where the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but in encouraging one another and all the more, as you see the day, and in the, our Bibles, the day is capitalized because it's talking about the day of the Lord, talking about the end of time, all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, that's why we've made this commitment despite the pandemic, despite the restrictions. You know, we obviously we don't break the law, but we find where within the confines of the law and the regulations we can continue to meet. Because I believe it's so important that we continue to build a community because we need one another to make it. Why we have kept our services going throughout. Why we continue to emphasize our CGs, our, our, our care groups. Uh, the reformers, you know, said this, and I tried to track down who it was exactly that said it, because some people say it's Martin Luther, some say it's John Calvin, and actually, if you look, both of them say it in different ways, but essentially they say this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That once we have been saved by faith, it's not just an individual decision we make, we are called out of darkness into His marvelous light, as a people, as a, 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 a gathering. You know, if you know uh, um, the Greek, you may not know a lot of Greek, but uh, over the years as a Christian, you've probably heard, there's this Greek word, ecclesia, which is always translated as church. Anytime you read it in the New Testament and it refers to church, you can be sure that the uh, uh, Greek word there is ecclesia. And if you take that word and you ex uh, um, uh, expound it further, you realize that ek, which means out, and ecclesia, ecclesia comes from kaleo, which means to call. It's about the people who are called out. And it's a word that is actually used uh, to um, denote an assembly or a gathering. A gathering of those who have been called out. And this is what God has called us together into, what He has saved us for, is so that we can be in community. I've already talked about the reality of how you know, uh, our Christian values and our faith will be countercultural. That if you haven't found yourself in that position, you will very soon find yourself swimming against the tide, running against the stream, you know, making it difficult sometimes if you're going to stand alone, you know, because all the world tells you that's not what you should be believing or doing. And that is something that happens. I always remember and, uh, um, this Af African proverb that many people talk about. And it says something like this, that if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. Those of you who've done NS, you know this, right? That's why they teach us when you go on these uh, long route marches, you know, you go together and you encourage one another so that no one gets left behind. And brothers and sisters in Christ, make no mistake about this. The Christian race is not a 100-meter sprint. 
May I suggest to you, it's not even a marathon, it's an ultra-marathon. And if you want to make it to the end, if you want to endure to the end, we need to do it together. Now, forgive me if I do this. I know you're going to talk about it in the announcements later. Next Saturday, we have a session and we're starting up again. Uh, something called a Meet the Pastor session. It's primarily targeted at newcomers to our church. And we hope to run it periodically, starting with every other month. That you know, As more visitors come, we may have to increase the frequency. The primary purpose is not just to meet me. Uh, which is something I, I love to do is to meet the new people, but also to introduce you to the church. You know, we try and bring uh, some of our CG leaders alongside and uh, participate in it. It'll be next Saturday, 2 p.m., upstairs on level 4. Uh, so if you can, uh, if you've been joining us online, you know, you're most welcome to uh, come to this session. Um, do we need registration, Ivan? No need, right? It just show up because we can have up to 50 people, so it, it's not a problem. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, you're also welcome, all right? It's all within the regulations. Uh, if you've been coming recently and want to know more about the church, get a chance to meet, it's, it's nothing really formal. I'll just speak very briefly, but then it's a chance to introduce you uh, to others in the church. And it's, you know, one of the reasons I think that's so important is because that's uh, what God has saved us for and called us into is into community. It was never, like I said, you know, faith alone that saves. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. So, why do we gather? Now, if I just left it at that, you know, we would say that, oh, because there's a negative reason. I want to avoid persecution. I want to be able to survive and endure to the end. But if you look at this passage, there's a far more positive reason why we gather together. It begins in verse 11 where the writer of Hebrews tells us, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That ultimately he points, the writer of Hebrews points to, you know, all the sacrifices that were offered in the past. They were all pointing towards this one sacrifice offered once for all on the cross. So in a sense, the fact that the temple is no longer there is not really a problem because, you know, God has offered the sacrifice Himself that covers every sin. And He says, and uh, you know, He's waiting for the time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. And that, as I was saying <laughs> previous week when I was uh, uh, expounding Revelation, in the end, God will win. That His enemies will not triumph at the end. And it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, that he is continuing to do this work in us. This is the covenant that I will make with them, from uh, quoting from the book of Jeremiah. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, that is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin. That there is no need for us to offer up sacrifices to see our sins cleansed because that sacrifice has been made for us once for all. And it's in the light of that, this is the positive reason why we come. 
why it says there, every time it says brothers, it's actually a collective term. It's not a, a, a gender term. It means brothers and sisters. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And you know, this is the positive reason we come. To be reminded of our status before Him. That when you come into His presence, there is no shame. There is no guilt that should keep us away. There is no longer any barrier that prevents us from coming to God. Because when Christ died on Calvary, you remember the veil of the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And if you read the account carefully, you see it was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, God initiated the action of reconciling us to himself. And I don't know whatever reason people may have for staying away. Maybe, I'm not talking so much to those of you who are here, but maybe some of you who are watching online. You know, come. Because this is where we truly celebrate the joy of our salvation, where we truly appreciate the fact that our forgiveness is given freely to us. And I want to end with this. In Hebrews 10.23 tells us, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Our God is a faithful God. Right? Elsewhere in uh, Scripture, I think it was Paul who was telling Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That is God's character. That is who he is. You know, the story of salvation, which is writ large in all of Scripture, starting from our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, as you know, they blew it. And they lost that intimacy which they once had. But if you read carefully through bi the Bible, the people of God constantly, you know, that's like a, a constant refrain. Right? Uh, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel did what was right in their own eyes and they've abandoned their faith. They abandoned their God, worshipped other gods, you know, set up Baals and Ashtoreth and even led the whole nation into exile. And yet, and yet God was faithful. He never abandoned His people. He provided a way out. He sent His Son, Jesus, for us. And this is the God that we hold fast to, that we cling to that we are called to be uh, in relationship with. So whatever the circumstance that has maybe caused you to stop uh, being in fellowship, whatever circumstance that has sometimes made you hesitate to come into His presence or to gather with His people, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You know, we sometimes waver because we have our own human doubts. But our faith is not in our 
ability to believe. Our faith is in a God who never lets us go. Last night at CG, uh, we were meeting and I, I uh, remarked in, uh, uh, because of what we were studying, but you know, this phrase has uh, stayed with me a lot. A friend always used to say, he said, you know, God's office is at the end of your rope. That ironically, when you are at wit's end, when you find yourself unable to keep your head above water, when you feel like you are drowning and that there is no hope, there is hope in Jesus Christ. That God meets us right there. Let's take a moment now to reflect on His Word. In whatever circumstance you may be going through, whether you find yourself at the end of the rope, or maybe life has just been ho-hum, I want us to make a commitment afresh. To continuing in this confession of our hope. Make this commitment afresh to continue in Christian community, in relationship with one another. Not just because we want to stand firm to the end, but also because this privilege of gathering with His people was bought with a price. Just because something is free doesn't mean it's cheap. Let's learn to appreciate what God has done for us and celebrate it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Every eye closed, every head bowed, just receive right now this prayer as I pray over each and every one of us. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. A reminder that, Lord, in this world, we will have tribulation. But as your son said, we are to be of good cheer. We are to take heart. We are to be courageous in the face of these trials and temptations. Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And the way we see that primarily is because he defeated sin and death on the cross. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for the demonstration of your great love for us. Help us, Lord, to receive that love, to bask in that love, to enjoy that love, to enjoy that forgiveness that you have freely offered to each of us. Help us, Lord, to return to you, to turn from our ways and return to a right relationship with you. And God, as we receive that love, give us the ability to love others as we love ourselves. Help us, Lord, to take this love to a world that's in desperate need of it, to bring this message of your lavish, relentless, limitless grace 
to a world that knows it not, whether it be within the shores of Singapore or beyond. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. Well, church, 